Um, so the canto began, if you remember, with um, a description of Swayambhuva Manu's daughters, right? And so one of the daughters was, uh, well, we had heard in the previous canto, Devahuti, and so then we heard the pastime of Kapiladev, Hare Krishna. And then one of his granddaughters was uh, Sati, right, who was married to Lord Shiva. And therefore, that, that gave kind of the reason for describing the whole Daksha Yagya and Sati com, uh, performing Sati and coming back as Parvati and that whole pastime. And then um, the narrative switched from Swayambhuva Manu's daughters to Swayambhuva Manu's sons. And he had two sons. What were they called? Thank you, Govind. Uttanupad and... Priyavrata. And so we're going to hear about Priyavrata in the fifth canto. But now we're hearing about Uttanupad. And Uttanupad had two sons, right? Uttam and Dhruva. And so that's, and therefore that, that gave the segue into the whole pastime of, uh, of Dhruva Maharaj. Um, and so we know, just to catch up, Dhruva Maharaj tried to climb the lap of uh, Uttanupad's, uh, the king Uttanupad's, climb on King Uttanupad's lap. And uh, one of his uh, favorite wives, Saruchi, said, no way, Jose. And didn't say that, but said, uh, that's not going to happen unless, you know, um, basically unless you die and take birth in my womb. Because, you know, you, uh, you are the son of a less respected uh, wife, Suniti. And so, um, what was that? So... Um, uh, Dhruva, being a chatriya, didn't take those words very kindly and was very upset and wanted to do something about it. And he approached his mother and his mother said, well, what's what people do if, you know, in your situation, if you have such, because he had these huge desires, I want to become, right, you know, have a kingdom better, greater than my grandfather and, you know, really do in my, uh, my, my uh, uh, stepmother, etc., uh, she said, well, you know, uh, what sages would do is get the favor of the Supreme Lord. He's the only person who can help you, and the Lord is found in the forest. So he goes to the forest, uh, being a very determined five-year-old Kshatriya, um, and Narada Muni uh, hears about this, and he comes to instruct him and gives him first some kind of like brominical instructions, and he says, ah, forget it, come on, I want, you know, no, he says, go home. And come back later when you're when you're when you're more mature. And uh, Dhruva shows his determination. And then Narada Muni, seeing that he had so many material desires, still basically gave him spiritual instructions. Told him to chant the mantra Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevayam, and meditate on not only form but the pastimes of the Lord and uh, perform austerities. And he did so to the extent that he became as heavy as Lord Vishnu himself, just by that, that deep austerities and meditation. Not that he became Lord Vishnu, by the way. That would be incorrect philosophy. Um, and also his breathing <laughs> coincided with the breathing in the universe. And the demigods got really scared. He, there's no air. And they, they went to uh, uh, Brahma, right? No, is it Brahma? Yes. And Brahma said, don't worry. It's all, we'll take care of this, right? So Brahma goes uh, right with uh, demigods, right, to uh, to see to uh, Kailash to see Lord Shiva, and by that time, Lord, wait, wait, am I getting two pastimes mixed up? 
Yes, I am. Sorry. <laughs> I read them all together. <laughs> right. No. <laughs> he, um, no, Narda. He goes, Narda goes back to, uh, yeah. Narda goes back to Utanapad and says, yeah, you know, this goes then. Krishna appears. That's right. Sorry. Vishnu appears to uh, Julie Brahma. Mixing me all up. You got the past time. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> no problem. It's, not, it's my fault, not yours. <laughs> yeah, that's where you threw me off. Because <laughs> I just read the whole fourth canto summary last night, so they're all kind of a kitri in my mind. Um, so Vishnu appears before the Lord, before Dhruva. It's very interesting. Dhruva's meditating on the Lord. And then he opens his eyes, and there he is, right? And uh, and he wants to offer prayers. He, you know, and he, you know, struggles. He's only five years old, and the Lord touches him with his conch shell, and then he offers these beautiful prayers. Uh, and then, anyway, and then he returns, and that's what we're up to basically uh, right now. So that's a little summary. We're on text fifty. Well, oh. Uh, Okay, but the next verse that we're actually purport, yeah, we can read these. We'll just read through them to text 50, right? Upon seeing Dhruva Maharaj approaching the neighboring small forest, King Uttanapad with great haste got down from his chariot. He had been very anxious for a long time to see his son Dhruva, and therefore with great love and affection he went forward to embrace his long-lost boy. Breathing very heavily, the, the king embraced him with both arms, but Dhruva Maharaj was not the same as before, he was completely sanctified by spiritual advancement due to having been touched by the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And to a lesser extent, that may also happen to us sometimes, right? We, we take to Krishna consciousness and, uh, and then our old friends, um, you know, let's say we used to go out to, uh, you know, the bar and drink or something like that and say, let's, let's go have a grab a beer. And you go, no, that's all right. <laughs> and they like, you know. Uh, actually, George Harrison, the one of the Beatles, wrote a song about this. Um, oh, I can't remember the lyrics now, but basically, how um, uh, I'm not what I was, uh, you know. And then people say, he, "You're not what you were." It's truly a shame, right? But he's, you know, was transformed. By, by Krishna consciousness. And of course, Dhruva Maharaj was greatly transformed, right? Um, but that also happens to us. We, we, uh, we tend to change our habits, our, our interests, and things like that. And, and, a, and a very interesting thing that often happens with devotees, uh, especially in the earlier days, but I think even today, um, you know, you had friends who even you might have talked about metaphysical things with, right? And then you, you read Prabhupada's books and you, and you say, I found it, I found it, this is great. And everyone looks at you like, you know, what happened to the him <laughs> or her, right? Um, because there is a transformation. There is a transformation. There's a purification. There's a different interest in life. One from selfishness to selflessness. One of looking out for number one to being a servant, um, to being a, a caring for all living entities, hopefully, eventually, but at least caring for others and their well-being. Reunion with Dhruva Maharaj fulfilled King Uttanapad's long-cherished desire, and for this reason he smelled Dhruva's hair head again and again and bathed him with torrents of very cold tears. So in, in the Vedic times, uh, smelling a child's hair was a sign, it was a way of showing affection. In China they do like that? 
Yes? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. It's very usual? Not very usual. Uh. Then Dhruva Maharaj, the foremost of all nobles, first of all offered his obeisances at the feet of his father and was honored by his father with various questions. He then bowed his head at the feet of his two mothers. So he, had, he held no uh, what, hatred, right? That's good. Okay. To uh, Suruchi for uh, her very unkind words. A matter of fact, they were, uh, and we can see this in our own lives. Sometimes somebody may do something to us and it becomes an impetus for us to do something very good. And we can actually be indebted to them for what seemed at the time to be unkindness, but then proved to be right, very good. Um, Oh, yes, okay. I'm just trying to think about uh, if anyone ha had experiences like that. I remember I, uh, I was accepted by Duke University and the University of Michigan. And Duke University is a kind of a slightly more prestigious. They're both good universities, but slightly more prestigious. Um, but then when I went to visit it, I found the people to be really, like, uppity and puffed up and, you know, like... Uh, really like um, very full of themselves. And then when I went to the University of Michigan, I found it much more down to earth and, and reasonable. And so, you know, a lot of people, including my parents, were not very happy with my choice of going to Michigan instead of Duke. But then it turned out that there was a Krishna temple in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And that brought me, that helped. I was already interested in high school, but that helped bring me to, uh, to Krishna consciousness. So, <laughs> so though that, that, that meanness or... or lack of attraction at Duke was actually a big plus, right? Um, going, to, uh, going to a school that had a temple there and meeting uh, Bajrinarayan Maharaj and all that, yeah. So I'm sure we can see that things similar sometimes in our own lives, that seeming, seeming setbacks can sometimes be uh, great benedictions, although when we're going through them, they don't often seem like great benedictions, right? But in 2020 hindsight, we sometimes see the, the value in them. Yeah. Anyone had an experience like that? They want to share? Oh yes, okay. Yes, Jiva. Hare Krishna. So when when I was in seventh grade Seventh my, grade. Yeah. My English teacher, you know, he would chastise me. Literally the notebook would fly all the way from his hands to hit my face or neck or he was really upset. He considered me like one of the kids who are going to fail, uh -huh. right? So I felt humiliated sometimes, you know, in my embarrassed that I don't know the answer. And that was my first year in that English medium in that environment. However, by the end of the year, I topped the class. Really? So he was there and... Uh, my other teacher was there because I moved my section. I moved out from this particular class to a different class. Sure. Feeling that I don't want to be in this class. He's hitting me so much. So I was able to do that. And both the teachers, my, at that time when I talked, my English teacher and this English teacher, Mr. Dhir, he was, both were conversing. And it was very strange that the one who used to chastise me, he came and immediately embraced me. Very good. And he said that if I had not hit you, I would not <laughs> have reached where you are. Yeah, of course, that wouldn't be allowed today, at least in America. Where did you go to school? 
Uh, this was Sindhi High School. It's a public school. Yeah, in which part of the India? Uh, Gwalior. In Gwalior? Oh, you're from yeah. Gwalior. Okay. Okay. Yes, I know Gwalior. Been there. Okay, thank you for that. Yeah, so sometimes, yes, Mama Trabu. Microphone. Some years ago, I went for conducting Japa at uh, Harrisburg Radhayatra. Uh -huh. So, because of previous experience, I went with lots of beads and uh, all that. So, I forgot a tablecloth. You forgot a tablecloth. Okay. So... Major you know, setback in life. Yes, go ahead. They're they're using a sheet, you know, white rolling sheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I asked for some sheet. For some what? That a piece of sheet. Sheets. So that uh -huh. cover uh, to cover the table. Uh huh. And uh, one person like he was very adamant. He says, "No, you need to get your own." <laughs> okay. I uh, said, uh, "I can't go. I'm coming from DC." <laughs> so, but he didn't budge. So then, I'll, but meditation was so nice. So I forgot after that, like completely. But when we, when I went next time, all of a sudden somebody was grabbing my feet, you know, and begging for forgiveness. I was bewildered, like Prabhu. Hold back like this. What happened? Why, why, why are you doing this? And then he told like uh, what he did last year uh -huh. without knowing what is the purpose, you know. And then he was crying like very genuinely, you know. Then he every year he helps me now. Acha. So it turned okay. So good example. Yes. Yeah, so there's so many things in our life like that. Um, and so here Druva didn't, and you didn't uh, say get lost. You're a rascal, right? So you followed in Dhruva Maharaj's footsteps because he, he paid obeisance to his father who, you know, wouldn't kind of, because, because of his attachment to Saruchi, wouldn't let him on his lap, right? And he paid obeisances to his stepmother who, you know, said very unkind words to him. Saruchi, the younger mother of Dhruva Maharaj, seeing that the innocent boy had fallen at her feet, immediately picked him up, embraced him with her hands, and with tears of feeling, she blessed him with the words, my dear boy, Long may you live. So also her heart was softened by this act of uh, kindness and humility. Mm. Sometimes it's said, right, that you can, you, you, you can get more done with honey than with vinegar. Right? So it's something to keep in mind. And a devotee is uh, tatikshava karunika. Right? Uh, tatikshava means tolerant. Or uh, I think tolerant, you know, we use it in our, we translate to teach of it like that, and it does mean tolerant. We could also um, take toleration, tolerance, and make it the positive, right? And make it like appreciation. Not just do I tolerate, okay. All right, so I, I t yeah, I can tolerate Raghunandan Prabhu. I can tolerate him, right? That's one thing, right? But I can appreciate him. That intolerance is included in that, you could say, right? You could, and and a, a good test is to try when everyone that we meet, even the person that we just think is such a 
idiot. And so try to find something you can appreciate in them. And if nothing else, you should be able to be able to say, well, at least Krishna's in their heart. <laughs> or they got a human birth somehow or other. I don't know how they got a human birth, but they got one. <laughs> uh, unto one who has transcendental qualities due to friendly behavior with the Supreme Personality of Godhead, all living entities offer honor just as water automatically flows down by nature. Mm. What a nice example also, a nice uh, metaphor. Mm. The two brothers, Uttam and Dhruvamaraj, also exchanged their tears. They were overwhelmed by the ecstasy of love and affection, and when they embraced one another, the hairs of their bodies stood up. Suniti, the real mother of Dhruvamaraj, embraced the tender body of her son, who was dearer to her than her own life, and thus forgot all material grief, for she was very pleased. My dear Vidura, Suniti was the mother of a great hero. Her tears, together with the milk flowing from her breast, wet the whole body of Dhruva Maharaj. This was a great auspicious sign. And then in the purport, i got to get to verse 50. Just one short thing. Prabhupada uh, wrote, A devotee is also a great hero. Not just Chatriyas, but why is a devotee a great hero? Because he conquers the influence of Maya. I was thinking about this that um, one time Srila Prabhupada said that his only criticism of his disciples is that they're not sufficiently afraid of Maya. They're not sufficiently afraid. Uh, and I don't know, I, I, for all of us, do we, how, much, how many of us do we wake up in the morning and think, boy, I really have to avoid being an illusion today? I really have to avoid Maya? and take shelter of Krishna. Is it a far distant thought, or is it front and center in our consciousness? Uh, And this is the second verse of the whole Bhagavatam, says uh, completely rejecting all religious activities which are materially motivated, this Bhagavat Purana propounds the highest truth, which is understandable by those devotees who are fully pure in heart. And what is the highest truth? The highest truth is reality distinguished from illusion for the welfare of all. So in one sense, that summarizes everything, right? Just like we have this saying in our strategic planning for ISKCON, more devotees, happier devotees. So the happier devotees is uh, avoiding illusion and being taking shelter of reality. And then more devotees would be um, for the welfare of all. So uh, that's something to be mindful of, that it's part of being a devotee is to anukul yasya sankalpa pratikul yashavarjana. We quote that a lot. To accept things that are favorable, to accept the reality and pratikul yashavarjanam, to reject the illusion. So that takes uh, practice and it also takes blessings. Right. But it is something that we should, and therefore, and if we can do that, or at least let's say to the extent that we do that, because it's not either, it's not an either or proposition, it's a, it's, a, it's a scale, it's a spectrum. To the extent that we do that, we're also a great hero. For those of us, therefore, who dream to be, you know, what's his name, Sachin Tendulkar, or, you know, uh, a great cricket player, or a great football player, or a great politician, we, you can be a greater hero. Than, than all of them by uh, 
conquering the influence of Maya. So any thoughts on that? Yes, Andy, and then Gurdas. Andy first, then Gurdas. Microphone is coming. Right, Andy. Thank you. Well, just a quick but kind of a vague question. A quick and vague question. Okay, yeah. great. <laughs> well, there's different branches of yoga, not counting physical yoga. Yes. Like there's Kriya Yoga and so on. Yeah. And I wonder why in Bhakti Yoga, why that's not built in, that separation from, from Maya. I mean, why do we have... A mind is one of our problems. Why do we have to use our mind to remind ourselves to, to get away from it, Maya? It is built in. Um, you know, the example that I think we've given before is that if you have a, a glass of ink, black ink, and you keep pouring milk into it, the ink goes from black to dark gray to gray to light gray to very light gray, and all, finally it becomes just white. Yeah, white, yeah, milk. So similarly, just by the positive aspects of Krishna consciousness, um, the, by taking uh, Krishna Surya Sam, Maya Haya Andakara, Yahan Krishna Tahan Maya, what's the last line? Maya Adhikara, yeah. So uh, Krishna is just like the, the sun, and Maya is just like darkness. And where there is sun, there's no question of darkness, right? So if we take shelter of the Krishna sun, we, like you were saying, we, um, we um, emphasize the positive, then um, that takes care of Maya. At the same time, um, it's, the Bhagavad Gita was basically written on the level of intelligence. And so you could see it almost like a, uh, like a train track, right? The parallel tracks, right? That the main thing is, yes, taking shelter of Krishna. But the other thing is also to strengthen our intelligence by being able to distinguish between uh, illusion or temporary things and eternal things, illusion and reality. But uh, the impersonalists um, put more emphasis on using the intelligence to distinguish you know, that which is temporary from that which is eternal. But the problem with that is it's not easy to have that kind of intellectual strength. And a impersonal energy, Brahman, uh, is not a person, and therefore you get mercy from persons, not from energies. Right? So I was just, uh, I, this may be a good time to, I was, uh, I, and I would encourage you all to do this, I was listening to a fantastic uh, lecture series. It's three parts. It's on YouTube on the Sandarbhas by uh, Radhika Raman Prabhu, who is you know the youngest person to ever get a PhD from Oxford University. Right? He was was he nineteen or twenty when he got his PhD? When he got his PhD from Oxford. So figure that one out. So anyway, and he's a great. He's a wonderful devotee and very humble. And uh, there's a three-part series on the Sundarbhas on YouTube from uh, when he was at ISV in uh, the Iskand Silicon Valley. So he, one thing that he was explaining is because uh, someone asked him the question, question why? Because in the sun, there's six Sundarbhas. These are these great, very incredibly philosophical treatises um, written by Jiva Goswami. To, you know, I, I can't explain it all, but to give you an idea, there's six of those books, and one of them is the Paramatma Sandarbha, and there's so many different chapters, and in one of those chapters, there's so many different parts, and Radhika Raman got his PhD just analyzing one part of one chapter 
of so many chapters of one of six books. <laughs> to give you an idea of how deeply philosophical it is. But anyway, the question comes, why does the, Parama, why is the uh, Bhagavad Sandarbha before the Paramatma Sandarbha? Why is the Sandarbha about Krishna before about super soul? Because usually we think Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavaniti, you know, Brahman, Paramatma, then Bhagavan. And he explained that, that our philosophy is actually uh, that you start with Krishna, you start with, this, you know, Ekala Ishwar Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna, whose highest form is his Vrindavan pastimes, right? And then he becomes less and he becomes super soul in everyone's heart. And he becomes less and he becomes Brahman. And therefore in the Gita it says, Brahmanohi Pratishtaham, that he says the Brahman. Uh, the, the, the Brahmano, he, Krishna says, Aham, I am the pratishta, the basis of Brahman. Whereas impersonalists get it wrong and they say there's Brahman and then part of Brahman, Nirguna Brahman becomes Saguna Brahman and then becomes Krishna, he becomes God and, and Ganesh becomes God and you become God but you all again merge back into Brahman. Right? We don't have, even on a very practical level, we don't have that experience of something impersonal making something personal right like this uh, this cell phone didn't first become a cell phone and then created the people that made the cell phone <laughs> right first there was Apple and there was you know uh, Steve Jobs and all of the people that he hired and all those folks in Silicon Valley and then they created this right? so it's also our practical experience so where was I getting at <laughs> what was the original question I got all excited about? This. But so, um, what your question was? Just if I just stand Hare Krishna. Oh, oh, right, 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 right. So, um, so yeah, about mercy. That was the point, right? So we we get uh, mercy from the person Krishna, and so even to really become Brahman realized, right? Um, uh, you need the mercy of Krishna. We, we, but we need both. So there, does that make sense, though, the, the yeah. parallel lines thing? Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, Gurudas Prabhu? So, <clears throat> this line of discussion is very interesting. So my, my question, I guess, is has morphed into... Um, morphine. No. Morphine? No, go ahead. <laughs> You're going so slow. I just. <laughs> okay, I deserve that. Um, so the spirit soul <clears throat> by nature is eternal, but what you said was uh, just now was very interesting how our understanding, of course, starts with. Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead in his Vrindavan Leela. So in our uh, eternal pure state, which we're gradually approaching as we take to devotional service, um, when we, re when we in, in my case, many, many lifetimes reach a pure uh, state. So all of Krishna's Vrindavan pastimes are automatically uh, revealed to us? 
Well, not necessarily, uh, that's a very exalted uh, question on a high level, but not necessarily exactly like that because we'll be so absorbed in our particular relationship with Krishna that we'll be focused on those pastimes which relate to our uh, eternal relationship with him. It's interesting, you brought up two terms that also come up in Radhika Raman Prabhu's... Uh, uh, he, he talks about how Prabhupada was very careful about his choice of words. And I won't get into all the details here. I would encourage you to... I can send you the, link also, the links, although you can just Google it. And, uh, um, but he talks about how Prabhupada's choice of supreme personality of Godhead... Those, those, you know, it's, why not just say Bhagavan means God, Right? But that choice is very specific, and it's exactly in line with Jiva Goswami's teachings in the Sandarbha. And similarly, his, his, his uh, translation of the word bhakti is not devotion. You mentioned the word. It's devotional service, right? And that's also exactly in line with uh, Jiva Goswami. Iha yasya hareya dasye, karmana manasagira, that, that verse, that sevan mukehi jiva sevan, that... Um, um, devotional seva, devotional service. It's to a person, and it's an act. It's an active thing. Meditation is inactive, right? But devotional service, chanting, reading, serving the deity, and all the things, anything from printing books to keeping the accounts in the temple, it's all, that's seva, that's service, active. So you brought up two, uh, two really good points there. But that other, that specific question, of course, is, is we, would, uh, we would, Krishna's pastimes would be revealed to us, to the ones that are really of, of interest to us, so to speak. So let's move on. Um, text 51. The residents of the palace praised the queen. Uh, Dear queen, your beloved son was lost a long time ago, and it is your great fortune that he now has come back. It appears, therefore, that your son will be able to protect you for a very long time and will put an end to all your material pangs. So you can imagine if you were a mother or a father and your son somehow disappears, basically, and you've pretty much written him off as deceased. And then he comes back. And not only does he come back, but he's effulgent, he's healthy, and he's a great spiritual person. Could you imagine the bounds of joy that that would bring to a mother? The sage Maitreya continued. So Maitreya is telling this whole story to Vidura, my dear Vidura. When everyone was thus praising Dhruva Maharaj, the king was very happy. And he had Dhruva and his brother seated on the back of a she-elephant. Thus he returned to his capital where he, prayed, where he was praised by all classes of men. The whole city was decorated with, whoops, I'll read from here. The whole city was decorated with columns of banana trees containing bunches of fruits and flowers and betel nut trees, which leaves and branches were seen here and there. There were also many gates set up, which were structured to give the appearance of sharks. So the idea is that there was ways in those times to uh, create an auspicious atmosphere, right? Um, what do we do today? I don't know. Banana trees, we still, I don't know, at least in Vrindavan, we use banana trees sometimes near the altar and things. Uh, mango special leaves. Mango leaves, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I'm just trying to think of what we do in, in America. <laughs> Not much, right? <laughs> I guess if you have a parade, maybe you wash down the road ahead of time. I'm not sure. But... Yeah. <laughs> at, at, each and, at each and every gate, there were burning lamps and big water pots decorated with differently colored cloth, strings of pearls, flower garlands, and hanging mango leaves. There are your mango leaves. Um, in the capital city, there were many palaces, city gates, and surrounding walls, which were already very, very beautiful. And on this occasion, all of them were decorated with golden ornaments. The domes of the city palaces glittered, as did the domes of the beautiful airplanes which hovered over the city. Prabhupada writes towards the end of the purport, um, and this is an interesting description, that we can observe a specific distinction between Dhruva Maharaj's time and modern days. For the airplanes in those days were made of gold, whereas the present moment airplanes are made of base aluminum. <laughs> this just gives a hint of the opulence of Dhruva Maharaj's days and the poverty of modern times. So this, uh, this brings up another uh, thing. So be, I had two, th two experiences last week that gave me a lot of faith in the Bhagavatam, or increased my faith in the Bhagavatam. And one was listening to uh, Radhika Raman Prabhu's uh, presentations. Um, really wonderful. And the other one was that I was asked to run a meeting in New Jersey about the, uh, the chandelier that will be in the... Uh, Temple of Vedic Planetarium in Mayapur. It's supposed to be a depiction of the universe according to the fifth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. It's going to be 200 feet tall. So how tall is this ceiling, you think? 25 feet? So imagine eight times. Eight times the height of this. Right. And so, you know, the fifth canto has always been a little tricky to understand, let's face it, right? Uh, you know, the description of the universe and, and Bhumandala and Siddhaloka and, you know, all, all those descriptions. So uh, it was, there was devotee, the devotee who's the main engineer flew in from Australia and Akhandadi Prabhu, who's a very senior Prabhupada disciple, who's uh, quite a scholar, came from England. And then we had um, a number of astrophysicists astrophysicists, one, uh, several with PhDs who, who were there. And, and they were going through the whole description of, of uh, you know, and how to play. And it was just so interesting to see these very, very smart people, much smarter than me, um, having so much, um, not just faith, but really trying to understand and, and how does astrophysicists apply to the uh, apply to the fifth canto and all that. And they were into all these, and these incredible calculations where I couldn't follow it all. You know. And luckily, my role was to facilitate the meeting and not the, the process, not the content. Right? That's what a facilitator does. Um, so, but it was very, very um, inspiring, actually, to see them you know, rolling up their sleeves and really getting into these incredible calculations and, and things like that. And, um, so uh, I won't get into it, but I will. If, for those who want to know about vimanas, which is what is being described here, we we'll probably translate them as airplanes, um, you might, again, go to YouTube, and uh, Sadaputa Prabhu uh, has uh, gives several lectures, and one of them is on Vimanas and uh, how we might understand them in present context. Um, and he kind of really kind of ex expands our uh, understanding of the world as so-called we know it. So I found that to be fascinating and uh, I was just listening I just finished listening to it this morning and that's at the end of it I decided no I'm not going to explain the whole thing that I heard just refer you to uh, Sadaputu Prabhu who's um, also the uh, 
co-author of oh, uh, the co-author of Forbidden Archaeology, an analysis of uh, ar the archaeological found, uh, findings of this day and age. And Drew de Karmapu, whose co his co-author was at the meeting in in. Uh, and as well as Ravinda Suprabhu was there by Skype, and uh, Rameshwar Prabhu, and Brahmatirtha Prabhu, and Yogeshwar Prabhu, all these really brilliant and senior uh, devotees. <clears throat> but, the, but one of the things, let's face it, that the Bhagavatam does is it expands our view of reality. To, uh, in, um, and it's our choice whether to, to, to um, trust them or not. But I think, because uh, so there's naturally going to be descriptions that are beyond our senses in understanding, right? You know, the descriptions of heavenly planets. Well, you know, how are you going to know whether they exist or not, right? But there's so many things in the Bhagavatam that we apply in our day-to-day -day lives and we get realizations about. And that can, you know, for me that helps me. And then being with devotees who try to understand these things and really, you know, come to grips with them, those two, the combination of those two things gives me a lot of trust in the, in the Bhagavatam, which is really our, um, as Sanatana Goswami says, it, it, for him, it's, it, the Bhagavatam is his greatest friend. And then when you hear Jiva Goswami, uh, you know, um, through either studying the Sundarbhaj yourself or hearing from someone like Radhika Raman, his, 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 scholarly presentation when uh, Radhika said one thing um, he said that because he grew up uh, reading the Bhagavatam from uh, frankly from birth um, or hearing the Bhagavatam from birth and he, he said he would sometimes he would hear Prabhupada say that Jiva Goswami was the greatest scholar and things like that and he, and he thought at, for many years he just thought that was kind of like you know maybe a little pious exaggeration because he's one of the teachers in our Sampradaya in this and that. But then when he studied the Sandarbhas and compared it to all the other philosophy that he studied in his life and got his PhD, based on that, he, he actually got some really deep realization of just Jiva Goswami's scholarship is, in, is incredible. Yeah. So I would uh, uh, recommend any of those things. Uh, I'm going to also get you the link. One of the um, scholars who is a PhD in astrophysicist um, who was at our meeting um, and I should remember his name, and I will in, in a little while, but it's just slipping my mind. Murli Gopal Prabhu, um, who also, funny enough, is also a really good break dancer. Now try to put astrophysicists and, and wild dancing in the same. <laughs> but anyway, he is. <laughs> um, uh, and I, he has some very good presentations on the fifth canto and things, and I'll try to find which, where they're, and I'll send you the link to those. Okay, so shall we move on? Okay, so 57. All the quadrangles, lanes, and streets in the city and the raised sitting places at the crossings were thoroughly cleansed and sprinkled with sandalwood water and auspicious grains such as rice and barley and flowers, fruits, and many other auspicious presentations were scattered all over the city. Thus, as Dhruv Maharaj passed on the road from every place in the neighborhood, all the gentle household ladies assembled to see him. And out of material, maternal affection, they offered their blessings, showering him with white mustard seed, barley, yogurt. Now, <laughs> you wouldn't want to be hit with yogurt, so it must have been uh, done in an interesting way, right? Not the way, you know, not like just here. Take some yogurt. <laughs> you know, 
uh, or you know mustard seeds get caught in your hair, you know whatever. So you know it's hard to sometimes take our experience and right? uh, newly grown grass, fruits, and flowers. In this way, Dhruv Maharaj, while hearing the pleasing songs sung by the ladies, entered the palace of his father. Dhruv Maharaj thereafter lived in his father's palace, which had walls bedecked with highly valuable jewels. His affectionate father took particular care of him, and he dwelled in that house just as the demigods lived in their palaces in the higher planetary systems. The bedding in the palace was as white as a foam of milk and was very soft. So just look at the, the transition, right? He's living in the forest, right? Performing these great austerities. Then Krishna gave him you know, this comfort. So Krishna gives us sometimes comfort. Krishna gives us sometimes opulence. The devotee ultimately is not attached either, just attached to service. So like one time, Srila Prabhupada was staying for a brief time in our temple in Detroit, which was built by Lawrence Fisher, you know, bodies by Fisher, if that, if you're, anyway, he was one of, on the level of, you know, or some in the similar category as the Fords and, you know, the very wealthy people of Detroit at that time. And uh, so it was a, it's, a, it's an incredible palace. I mean, I lived, I served at that temple for uh, about a decade. Um, anyone been there? Yes, a few, yeah. Um, and Prabhupada's room was very opulent. As a matter of fact, if I recall, uh, the shower had like seven heads, like three, three at each side and one from the top, you know, and, and gold glitter. And, and it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, uh, donated to us by um, um, Ambarish Prabhu and uh, Lake Shavanti Mataji. Um, and so Prabhupada said, so I used to live, and if any, how many of you have been to Prabhupada's quarters in Radhadamadar in Vrindavan? Okay, same two people. <laughs> uh, so that's a very, you know, by the external, it's very simple living. Very, 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 very simple living. There's no attached bath. For example, you have to go out with your lota and, you know, um, very, very simple. And Prabhupada said, I was living in Vrindavan in Radha Temple. I'm living in this palace. For me, it's the same. You know, I'm here in either place. I was there to serve Krishna. <laughs> So ultimately, that you know, that's uh, devotee's mood. That if opulence or, or simple living, no problem. Yeah, I uh, for many years I lived in a van, <laughs> pretty much. Not because no, not not like a homeless person, but because I was traveling around the country, um, uh, trying to teach Krishna consciousness, and I didn't want to use Krishna's money for a hotel room. So I just lived in a van and uh, lived very simply. Cooked for myself, had a little stove and all that. And now I have, a, uh, I have a house in Potomac. Now, I don't have one of these big houses, by the way. <laughs> a little small house. But when I tell people at work, they say, where do you live? Or especially when, I, when we lived on the property here, I used to say, I live in Potomac on 12 acres. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you're a government worker and you live in Potomac at 12 acres. Yeah, we have a couple of cows and <laughs> stream goes through the property. <laughs> <They're all> like, <laughs> really? Yes. It's kind of funny. Um, but that's, that's the mood of a devotee that, you know, um, that Krishna gives, Krishna takes, and either way it's Krishna's mercy. So moving on to... Um, Text 62. The palace of the king was surrounded by a wall. Did I read that already? 
Oh, 61. Yeah, I'm trying to do both my computer. The bedding in the palace was as white as the foam of milk and very soft. The bedsteads were made of ivory with embellishments of gold. And the chairs, benches, and other sitting places and furniture were made of gold. The palace of the king was surrounded by walls made of marble and many engravings made of valuable jewels like sapphires, which depicted beautiful women with shining jewel lamps in their hands. The king's residence was surrounded by gardens wherein there were varieties of trees brought from the heavenly planets. And in those trees, there were pairs of sweetly singing birds and almost mad bumblebees, which made it a very relishable buzzing sound. There were emerald staircases which led to lakes full of variously colored lotus flowers and lilies and swans, karandavas, chakravakas, cranes, and similarly other valuable birds were visible in those lakes. The saintly king Uttanapad, hearing of the glorious deeds of Dhruv Maharaj and personally seeing also how influential and great he was, felt very satisfied for Dhruva's activities were, power, were wonderful to the supreme degree. When, after concentration, King Uttanapad saw that Dhruva Maharaj was suitably mature to take charge of the kingdom and that his ministers were agreeable and the citizens were also fond of him, he enthroned Dhruva as emperor of the planet. And Prabhupada writes in the second paragraph. When a Vaishnava king like Dhruva Maharaj is the head of the government of the entire world, the world is so happy that it is not possible to imagine or describe. Even now, if people would all become Krishna conscious, the democratic government of the present day would be exactly like the kingdom of heaven. If all people became Krishna conscious, they would vote for persons of the category of Dhruva Maharaj. So, um, what would that kingdom look like? No, not yet. No. What would that? What would it look like if? Um, if the world was at least a large percentage devotees and the person in charge was, or the, and the people in charge, let's say if it was a democratic, like all the democrat, all senators, congressmen, governors, IRS, <laughs> they were uh, devotees. They were very spiritual. Even if they're not necessarily you know, all Krishna devotees, but very spiritually minded people. What would you say it would be like Vaikuntha? Okay, what, what details? Yeah? Hare Krishna. Go ahead then. One, two, first. Yeah. So, once Srila Prabhupada, when he was giving his lecture, devotee asked, like, you know, what would it take, what percentage of population for it to become Vakuntha? And Prabhupada's response was 2% of the population. Yeah, he said that also. So, but whatever, let's But, but let's, if it's 100%, percent, it would just be. Goloka means again every step of dance, every word of song, and well, constant ecstasy. It's interesting you say that because one time um, a devotee was at, was asked that somebody said, "So if everyone just became a devotee, you know, because they were they were at a Hari Nam party, people were chanting and dancing in the street, right? If everyone just became a devotee, everyone was singing and dancing in the street, you know, who would take care of the roads and who would make the food and the, and the devotee." fell for that bogus that argument. It's called the straw man argument. Right? Yeah. And he went for that. He said, no, it would be really happy. And I, so I had, to, I had to set the devotee aside. No, no, we wouldn't. We would take, we would still govern the, 
There would still be people governing. There would still be farmers. There would still be bureaucrats. There would still be, you know, um, policemen. There would be all these things. Uh, there would just be, uh, you know. So we wouldn't be giving all those things up. You know, we wouldn't just be all just dancing, and at least not all the time. Yes, Ma Majpu? People will become very kind. People would be kind, yes. And uh, they won't be self-absorbed. Like. Could you imagine a kind-hearted government that really, really cared about the individuals? And not only that, but took responsibility if things didn't go well, right? The king would, be, uh, would, would, would blame himself, right, if things didn't uh, go well. Yeah, you could just, it would be very interesting. What else? Yes? There would be no scarcity, Why would there be no scarcity? Ah, so the king's because of the king's piety. I'm I'm repeating because this is recorded. And yeah, and you don't have a microphone. Uh, people would make sure they're being fed. Now I don't know if this happens in recent times, but I remember in ten, twenty years ago, sometimes they would throw surplus grains, like dispose of them, you know, to for market reasons and things, you know, supply and demand rather than you know find people who needed food and, and take care of them. And also Prabhupada did once say, I can't remember the exact details, but you know the, the area just outside of Chicago was one of the main slaughterhouse areas in America. And he said something to the effect that if, they would just, if there was just no slaughterhouse in this one place, the weather would have improved greatly in Chicago, which they could use, they could use some improvement in that weather. Did you have a... Yes, Prabhu. So, of course, there would be happiness everywhere, but I'm wondering then, what about the Kali Age effects, whatever has been forcasted and mentioned in scriptures? Like, that would be what? They could be uh, superseded. Superseded. Yes. Anyone else? Any other ideas what it would be like? <clears throat> Did you have something else, Jiva? Jiva first, and then. So, when I said that, Let's also understand that in Goloka, everyone is working very yes. diligently with that. Very good. You know, in servitude, yeah. with love and devotion. So it's not that everyone just sitting and dancing there. Right. Everyone is <laughs> really contributing above and beyond their capabilities. They're singing as they're churning the milk and yes. the butter. Yes, Ru. So in my context, uh, that there'll be still people like how we how they are right now. Uh, but there will be proper justice, like the justice will govern in the right direction. And uh, and like, you know, things will be normal, but going in the right direction. Mm. That's all I, I would say. One thing that Prabhupada said would, that, that there would be, we would want full employment, that everyone should be busy, and idle mind is the devil's workshop. So... So if we so if we say we uh, there would be no slaughterhouses and no uh, distilleries and things like that, then there would be alternative uh, employment to you know keep you know it doesn't mean you close down the the slaughterhouse and people are out of work. No, you can find other things to do. That full employment is actually an important part of society. Although a Brahmin's employment is to study and things like that. So anyway, it's just an interesting thing to uh, dream about because. Prabhupada does mention it here. Shall we carry on then? Haribo. Oh, I heard a Haribo. Yes. Yeah. So Prabhupada would also say that it's up to us to make that happen. Um, I remember one devotee asking Prabhupada about you know, the possibility of World War III. 
and you know all of these uh, uh, dire predictions in the twelfth canto coming true. And Prabhupada turned to that devotee and said, uh, "You know, it's up to you." Well, yes, a devotee. If there was uh, enough spiritually minded people in the world, then um, Krishna can reciprocate with their desire to see actually a peaceful place. Shall we carry on? Text sixty-seven. After considering, after considering his advanced age and deliberating on the welfare of his spiritual self, King Uttanapad detached himself from worldly affairs and entered the forest. Chapter 10. The great sage Maitreya said, My dear Vidura, thereafter, Dhruva Maharaj married the daughter of Prajapati, uh, Sushumara, whose name was Brahmi, and two sons named Kalpa and Vatsara were born of her. And Prabhupada writes at the end of the purport, these are rare instances from which we can see that the importance of spiritual realization is above all other important work. Maharaj Uttanapad knew very well that to get his son Dhruva Maharaj married was not so important that it should take preference to his going away to the forest for self-realization. So, because what happened was, uh, generally, you, um, you know, in the Vedic culture, you get your offspring married, and then you consider, can consider other renounced things. My son's getting married in July, so after July. No. Uh, <laughs> no. But, uh, but uh, Maharaj Uttanapad didn't do that. He went for self-realization, entered the forest, uh, enthroned Dhruva Maharaj and kind of figured Krishna will take care of things. So um, this brings about, this, this conjures up uh, a lot of considerations. One time when a devotee wanted to renounce everything and travel with Lord Chaitanya, he said, he quoted Brahma, Lord Brahma that says, Stanestita Shruti Kadam Tanvagmanopir, that you stay in your position. You don't, you don't have to give renounce your family but shruti shruti spend more time hearing about krishna chanting about krishna right don't uh and that's the general uh instruction for us to lead a responsible life especially if we're married in the grihasta ashram um lead a responsible married life and at the same time make it a spiritual one and also help the family members uh, be spiritual. Having said that, uh, there will likely become, especially for those of us who really are aspiring uh, in a very serious way spiritually, there probably will come a time in our life at some point when we might um, choose to make some drastic changes in our life, knowing that you know death is not that far away. right? Even... Srila Prabhupada would say that sometimes at the age of 50 or so you can, you can take it that it's a tap on the shoulder from Krishna that you're not going to live forever. <laughs> right? right. Um, and we should, now when that time arises in each of our life, you know, that might not be the time now, so we don't really know what those circumstances would be like. Um, but we may, uh, it may be favorable to make some radical decisions in our life especially towards the end of our life, to really absorb ourselves 
in Krishna consciousness. Because death is going to come either way. Death comes to everyone. Uh, what is that verse in the Bhagavad Gita? For one who is born, death is certain. Druvram janma mitrasya cha. Chatasya hi druvam janma mitrasya cha. For one who is born, death is certain. For one who is dead, birth is certain. That's the part that not everyone gets. Um, so that may be a, uh, a choice that we make. A radical, like, for example, if we find out that we have an incurable disease, we might say, okay, I'm going to go to Vrindavan and live my, out my days there. Or, uh, you know, um, I could continue my job, but I'm 65. I'm going to get Social Security and some pension. It's not going to be a lot. But if I live simply... If I, if, if me, you know, me and my wife decide, or my wife, if it's a wife, me and my husband decide that we can that we can choose to lead the simple life, maybe not. There won't be so much travel or this stuff, but I don't have to, you know, uh, keep my job anymore, and then I could dedicate myself more to hearing and chanting and serving. We may make that that decision at that age in our life, but uh, um, King Uttanapad, you know, kept that in mind. That uh, just like Lord Krishna says in the Gita, "Janma mrityu jaraviyati dukkha doshanudarshanam." Right? He says that a, a wise person keeps in mind that reminds himself that there is always birth, death, disease, and old age. Um, so, so this is a, a, an example to keep in mind. We may keep it in our pocket for now because we may, you know, have uh, we may not be married yet, or we may have you know young children and things like that, or we may you know be in our 40s, 50s, early 60s, it may not be the right time, but there may come a time in our life when Krishna doesn't just tap us on the shoulder, but you know, kind of slaps us on the face. <laughs> right? And we might want to be ready for that, 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 that slap and, uh, and understand, yeah, I really, you know, okay, yeah, I could live, I could keep working until I'm 70 and live in this big house and this and that, but is that, what I, is that how I want to leave this world? And we may, you know, we may make different decisions as we get older. You wanted the microphone, yes. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, like, is it too? Isn't it too late if you wait that long, like, until you're like the end of your life? Shouldn't you do it earlier? Like, uh, do what earlier? Like, seek uh, self-realization. Yes, that, and that's why. Yeah, thank you for that. Very good question. Um, yeah, and therefore, we want to be in one place. Prabhupada right said, from the very beginning of life, or from the time that we understand the urgency. We should become interested in Krishna consciousness, but we could. Um, the, one of the challenges is how to do it. So, being serious about spiritual life is always good. How to do it may be different according to uh, our level of realization. In my experience, like I've had a few near-death experiences, where really? that pushes you towards. That like, might that give you thing. some realizations. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, but we, but there's also the fear of uh, like a falgu vairagya or uh, premature renunciation, right? So in Prabhupada, we give the example that uh, sometimes people um, in, 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 would uh, renounce everything, move to Vrindavan, and then have three girlfriends in Vrindavan, <laughs> you know, something like that, or, or you know, um, and. and and so even in our society, in ISKCON, we had, uh, to kind of kickstart the movement, uh, we had very young people take sannyas, to take the renounced daughter of life. 
And it was hard for some of them to maintain that. So now there's much, much, much more strict rules about who can and cannot um, uh, take sannyas um, to be careful to avoid, avoid that. Um, so, but Lord Brahma's instructions might, might be very good for all of us that he says, you know, for the time being, he said at least, sanestita, stay in your position. Keep your job. Don't run off to, you know, hardwire or something. Um, but, Thank you. Um, to take the time to take time to um, practice spiritual life. Yeah, I'd like to hear something. Not now, but to hear about your near-death experiences. I had one Friday. <laughs> you had one Friday. Yeah, I almost got hit by a car. Like just literally a few inches. Wow, Hare Krishna. Are you married? No. Oh no wonder you're so happy. I was wondering why you're. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <a> joke. Okay. <laughs> Other questions, comments about this verse, about this point? Yes, Mama. No, you can't take sannyas yet. <laughs> no, <laughs> but um, I'm admiring like the training, the intentions, and the culture. So we just heard the opulences of uh, of the king. The yeah. king, yeah. And then he just went because he placed the self-realization as higher priority. Yes. Um, yes, he traded in his Lexus for a uh, <laughs> <Chandibi>. Prius. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He put it as a high priority. And so I'm just wondering, like, the guidance they received is very. Valuable guidance. Yeah. Yes. He was a true Raja Rishi, or Rajarshi, right? One who's a king, but is a saint. Is a saint. Yeah. Okay, shall we move on? Okay. Text, what are we on? Text two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the greatly powerful Dhruv Maharaj had another wife named uh, Ila, another thing we don't want to follow in footsteps in this age of Kali, <laughs> um, meaning polygamy, um, who was the daughter of the demigod Vayu. By her, he begot a son named Utkala and a very beautiful daughter. Dhruva Maharaj's younger brother, U- Uttama, who was still unmarried, once went on a hunting excursion and was killed by a powerful yaksha in the Himalaya mountains. Along with him, his mother, Suruchi, also followed the path of her son. She died. When Dhruva Maharaj heard of the killing of his brother Uttama by the Yakshas in the Himalaya mountains, being overwhelmed with lamentation and anger, he got on his, his chariot and went out for victory over the city of the Yakshas, uh, Alakapuri. Dhruva Maharaj went to the northern direction of the Himalayan range. In a valley, he saw a city full of ghostly persons who were followers of Lord Shiva. Maitreya continued, My dear Vidura, as soon as Dhruvamaras reached Alakapuri, he immediately blew his conch shell, and the sound reverberated throughout the entire sky and in every direction. The wives of the Yakshas became very much frightened. For their eye, from their eyes, it was apparent that they were full of anxiety. O hero Vidura, the greatly powerful heroes of the Yakshas, unable to tolerate the resounding vibration of the conch shell of Dhruvamaras, came forth from their city with weapons and attacked Dhruva. Dhruva Maharaj, who was a great charioteer and certainly a great bowman, also 
also immediately began to kill them by simultaneously discharging arrows three at a time. When the heroes of the Yakshas saw that all their heads were being thus threatened by Maharaj, they could very easily understand their awkward position, and they concluded that they would certainly be defeated, but as heroes they lauded the actions of Dhruva. And Prabhupada writes, this spirit of fighting in a sporting attitude is very significant in this verse. The Akshas were severely attacked. Dhruva Maharaj was their enemy, but still, upon witnessing the wonderful heroic acts of Maharaj Dhruva, they were very pleased with him. This straightforward appreciation of an enemy's prowess is a characteristic of real Kshatriya spirit. So it's very difficult, not very, it's, it's not easy to understand a, the Kshatriya spirit, right? the martial spirit that one actually um, is appreciate, enjoys warfare. That it's, uh, well, because in the Vedic times, uh, it was understood that if you uh, die for a good cause on the battlefield, you attain heaven. I mean, not spiritual world, but heaven. You attain a, a higher birth. Uh, and there was great, this great appreciation for, for, um, for others. Um, I guess a perverted reflection of this might be like in football today. If, uh, um, if a player... Will uh, it's considered actually like it's a it's quite an appreciated sign if someone you know especially they, it's easier to do this after you win, right? After you win, you say, "Oh, those guys, those Redskins, they put up a good fight." Well, you know, they're fantastic, right? <laughs> you know, you don't you sometimes you just say those guys are just a bunch of jerks, right? <laughs> but anyway, uh, but that uh, appreciation was part of the culture of of Chatris. And it's also very significant to understand that, uh, that, that warfare in Vedic times took place uh, away from population, that you didn't uh, include, uh, there wasn't the uh, casualties of citizenship. No collateral damage. Collateral damage, right, yeah, no, you know, in, in such things. But, you know, it's also interesting to know that there was war then, there's war now. I mean, you know, there's, uh, but it was done in a different way. Matter of fact, in the Mahabharata, you read about how uh, they would fight fiercely during the day and then get together and sometimes share a meal at night and then again fight the next day. So that's kind of a head-scratcher for us in, uh, in modern times. But um, because there was that appreciation for the Chatriya spirit, and I guess the closest thing you see sometimes maybe is some sports or something today, but um, yeah. And the other thing, of course, is that uh, the the great heroes were in the front of the army, not back in Washington D.C. You know, kind of you know in a bunker someplace uh, like that. A little different. Uh, today, and that's not just making fun of America. It happens all around the world. So it's a different culture in a different time, different place. But sometimes we can ex extract um, lessons from such things. For example, um, we in in modern in, in in our lives, I'm sure in many times in our life, we may disagree with someone else, or at work we may have a totally different opinion in a direction that a project should go in, right? 
or even in, in ISKCON we have our, our basic understandings, but in some details we have differences of opinion. Right? So it's a, it's a art to, on, on the one hand, not just give in and you know, play dead, right? But on the other hand, to appreciate and try to understand where someone who has a different opinion than you uh, is going, what, the, what, their, what their insights are. And you may change your mind. You may adjust your, uh, some of your beliefs based on really trying to understand the other person. Um, not that we, you know, this is, of course, a spiritual talk, but if you ever wanted to read a good book about this, there's a good book called Crucial Conversations, which is a good book about, on, this, on this kind of topic. But it's, it's some way that we might derive some lesson from this that happened so long ago to our day-to-day occurrence. Because we tend to uh, uh, see things in Sanskrit. There's a saying, I think it's Sanskrit, maybe it's Hindi, Atmavan Manyate Jagat. Is that Sanskrit, Hindi? Yeah. That uh, Atmavan, I see the world the different way, and I think everyone in the world should see it the same way as me. The, see the jagat the same way, right? Um, there's a, in, in psychology, this is sometimes called naive realism. That I see the, the, that the person thinks, I see the world in an objective way. And if persons don't see it the way I see it, it might be that they have very different information, but it's more likely that they're crooked <laughs> or they're an illusion or they're just, you know, rascals, as we would say, right? You know. So um, that doesn't lead to uh, good decision-making in, in, an, in an organization, because that's my, my field at work, um, or uh, a good sound discussion. So it, as devotees, we may have a difference of opinion on some, on some points, and then we should also be able to then go and have lunch prashadam with that person that we disagree with and see beyond. Sometimes we just see people as their issues, right? And that's, that's certainly come up a lot in, in American politics today, right? Um, but, you know, there, there's a person beyond those issues, and it's good to know that. I've, I've, I've practiced that a lot, uh, working for the federal government and having new political appointees that sometimes get um, uh, not described in very nice terms in the media. And, and I, whether I agree or disagree with their principle, with their um, um, way of dealing with things, because uh, you know, the idea of a civil servant is you're not, you don't really, that's not your job to agree or disagree, really. It's to carry out whatever the mission of the organization. But I have made it a point to sometimes go to people that, that I see the world very differently than them and get to know them on a more personal basis. You know, oh, you have kids, I, I thought you just had horns coming out of your head. You know, you, you have children and you have, you know, you have likes and dislikes and things like that. And that doesn't necessarily mean I would d change everything that I agree or disagree with them on a personal level, but I see the, the uh, person behind that. And so it's good for us also, it, just in, inter, in interpersonal dealings, to not just objectify people, but see the, the uh, and try to understand the person behind them. Uh, that would make for a greater world, and certainly, and for a greater, you know, uh, temple or a greater family, right? Sometimes we we see things only through our lens and don't try to understand how our wife or husband is seeing things or how our children are seeing things, and they have a different. Literally, we call it point of view, right? We use that word point of view, literally, because they have a point and they're viewing the world, 
and we have a point, and we're viewing the world. And that's obviously a different point of view because we're at a different point. Um, and that can be very helpful, especially if you have, uh, yeah, actually everyone. I was going to say if you have teenagers, it becomes amplified perhaps, or if you are a teenager. Um, but I think it's true of everyone to try to uh, um, see, see things in, in another way and uh, appreciate that, even if, even if we might still correct somebody or have a difference of opinion. Any thoughts on that? Yes. Um, the basis for that is respect for the other person. Yes. It starts from R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then that sets the tone for our interaction. Even if we are disagreeing with that point of view, still there is that respect for that person and that yes. person's thoughts and opinions. Yes. Yeah. Because um, I mean, that's part of Lord Chaitanya's teachings, that to... Um, uh, that one can really be a spiritual person if one is offering respects to others and not even expecting respect in return. Right? Uh, I was also, when one pay, in, in, in Vaishnavism, when one pays respects to the spiritual master, who's you know exalted person, um, the spiritual master offers respects back to the disciple. Right? Um, knowing that the Lord is in the heart of that disciple. And so offer respects to the Lord in that disciple's heart. So, um, yeah, respect is... And then you want to take it one notch higher after respect is appreciation mm -hmm. right, of others. And again, that doesn't mean that people aren't necessarily wrong about things sometimes. Um, you can appreciate a person and then show them that, and the mistakes that they're making. You know... So it doesn't mean that, again, if you have children, you just, yes, yes. I'm sorry, my dear teenager. You want to stay out until 2 in the morning? I, I understand your point of view now. No, that, that's not. <laughs> now, I understand your point of view. I understand that socializing is very important to you. And I understand that you're going to be back by 9 o'clock. <laughs> right. uh, so it does, so it's, not, it's a balance of courage and consideration. It's not, um, it's not just playing dead and just say, oh, whatever you want. But it's important um, to uh, appreciate others. Then we can also avoid aparad, uh, offenses to, there, there's, all, there's different kinds of offenses that you can commit in this world. Uh, the worst one being offenses to one who's very dear to God, who, to another devotee. But there's also jana aparad, which is offenses just people. In general, so as much as possible, we try to walk through the world um, appreciating and caring for others. Um, at the same time, there may be some times when uh, we have to speak, uh, what is it, truth to power, or tell somebody the truth, and the truth isn't always completely palatable, right? It's, it's, it's true that we're all going to die one day. <laughs> Everyone feel really good about that? Raise your hand, <laughs> you know, right? But it's a fact. Right, so the shastra, the, the the scriptures, deals also with reality, and the reality ultimately is really positive. Right, because Krishna is really positive, and he's the supreme personality of God. But still, in the Gita, he says, "What are the inevitable things? Old age, disease, 
death. And then he adds one that, that uh, not everyone in the world would uh, understand Janma, a, another birth. Right? And these are inevitabilities. Or even we say, right, death and taxes. Now you could try to avoid the IRS. And I've been reading in the papers recently that they, you know, they have a lot less IRS agents, so it may be easier to avoid them. <laughs> I'm not giving anyone any suggestions here. Um, but you can't avoid death. So that, that, can be, that can be, oh my God, what a bummer, I'm going to have to die. But that can also be a positive thing. Okay, now I have this time between now and when I die. How can I best use that? Hmm. Right? Uh, yeah, I, a friend of mine, uh, Peter Burwash, who's written some books and is a devotee, he, uh, he was once thinking of naming a book, um, I can't remember the exact title, but The Importance of the Dash. Dash means a dash, right? Because like on, on your tombstone, you, knew you were born 1958, died 2035, and there's a dash in the middle. He said the important thing is the dash, <laughs> right? What you did between uh, what you did between birth and death, right? So, um, yeah. So respect is 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 something as a general rule. But if someone's like totally in, in, in illusion, we can respect them and say, would you consider this another way of looking at things? Right. Yeah. Other questions, comments, thoughts on this topic? Andy, nothing? Nandimuki, you've been quiet all day. Nothing useful. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> all right, so... Um, So we'll continue. So remember, this is like describing a battle. Just like serpents who cannot tolerate being trampled upon anyone's feet, the yakshas being intolerant of the wonderful prowess of Dhruva Maharaj threw twice as many arrows, six, six from each of their soldiers. And thus, they very valiantly exhibited their prowess. So yes, ringtones like that should be avoided. We're just going to uh, remember the point, though, that there is one bona fide ringtone that anyone can. If you have this on your phone, you can keep your phone on during the talk. <laughs> okay, that ringtone you can do. <laughs> Um, through twice as many arrows, six from each of their soldiers, and thus they very valiantly exhibited their prowess. So Chatriyas love this. Wow, that's even better than me. Oh, great. Um, the Yaksha soldiers were 130,000 strong, all greatly angry, and all desiring to defeat the wonderful activities of Dhruva Maharaj. With full strength, they showered upon Dhruva Maharaj, along with his chariot and charioteer, various types of feathered arrows, parigas, Iron bludgeons, nistrimsas, swords, uh, prashushulas, uh, tridents, parashvadhas, lances, shaktis, pikes, vishtis, spears, and bushudi weapons. Juvamaraj was completely covered by an incessant shower of weapons, just as a mountain is covered by an incessant rainfall. All the siddhas from the higher planetary systems were observing the fight from the sky. 
And when they saw that Dhruv Maharaj had been covered by the incessant arrows of the enemies, they roared tumultuously, the grandson of Manu, Dhruva, is now lost. They cried that Dhruv Maharaj was just like the sun and that now he had set within the ocean of the Yakshas. And Prabhupada writes, the denizens of the planet Siddhalokas, where the residents can fly in the sky without airplanes, were anxious over Dhruv Maharaj's welfare in the battlefield. Rupa Goswami says, therefore, that not only is a devotee well protected by the Supreme Lord, but all the demigods, even ordinary men, are anxious for his security and safety. So the idea is that, uh, just like the six Goswamis are described as uh, Dira Adira Janapriya, that they were dear, Priya means dear, um, Priya, they were dear to the Dira, the very sober, um, pious people, and Adira, the ruffians, the the, the rascals, they, 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 all, they all liked him, right? Just like sometimes you can go into a, uh, a place that's torn by you know, two competing gangs, right? But someone who may be a priest or someone like that, and they also, oh, no, we're not going to bother you know, Father Jim. So, he, you know, he's appreciated by both gangs or whatever, right? So, there's, uh, so uh, a devotee is meant to try to be like that. That's so honest, so uh, compassionate, so straightforward in their dealings, so tolerant, so appreciative that everyone can see, can appreciate that kind of person. And so that's not a challenge just for, you know, somebody wearing a dhoti. That's for everyone in this room to, to at least to some extent have that kind of character that people will appreciate. And I know so many, uh, so I, I entered the workplace, first I was a monk for 12 years, and then I lived in India. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't working a job, I was uh, a consultant for the Supreme Court in India and teaching Bhagavad Gita and stuff like that. But I finally got like a real job job at the age of uh, 53. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, people would still come to me and I was like, what? something different about you. What, what's going on there? You know, they'd, not that I'm a great devotee or anything. I didn't mean like that, but just, uh, you know, um, a devotee uh, is meant to develop these good qualities. And you don't have to therefore even like make a big advertisement, hey, Hare Krishna. Right? But um, there's that saying that what you are speaks so loudly I can't hear what you're saying. <laughs> Right, so um, so we should all practice that, whatever wherever we are in our lives, in our level of spirituality, practice. Uh, wake up in the morning and saying, "Let me be positive with every single person I meet today," and and if possible, give them some kind of you know spiritual thoughts or or things like that, and you know um, that is, and then then the demigods and even ordinary people will be anxious for your security and safety. There you go. You get so many blessings from people even who can't really bless. At least they won't kill you or, you know, take your parking spot. So. <laughs> what I often do is I buy cookies from the bake sale and bring them uh, to our staff meetings on Monday. And everyone gets prashadam, which is blessed food, and they make spiritual advancement. And they also like the prashadam. So time is up for this week. We uh, will con continue next uh, 10.30 next Sunday, right? Oh, it's Dasera. We probably won't continue next time. There'll be all the plans for the festivities. So please come for Dasera and volunteer if you can. And then we'll continue in two weeks. So in, you have to wait two weeks to see what happens in the battle. 
or you can read ahead. Uh, and I'll be emailing out the, um, uh, the assignment for reading. And if you want to continue and you don't get the emails, let me know and I'll add you to the email list. Have a very blessed uh, day and week. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Sorry about that statement about the market.